There are falconers that go around and, and usually I, I, there may be some wineries that have their own, but often they'll work with falconers who come on to their property and basically run the falcon so that if they scare if the falcon scare away the birds. And if you ever have been around it, it's pretty impressive to feel the wind <laughs> as the bird flies by. It's just incredible. And they fly loose and then they're so well trained that with this um, sound and the falconer can call them back. And so it's, it's just incredible to see it firsthand. That's Allison Jordan, the executive director of the California Sustainable Wine Growing Alliance. She's talking about how some wineries use falcons as part of their sustainability program. Welcome, I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. And I'm Ian Fitzpatrick, and this is World Footprints. With Earth Day coming up this April, this year marks the 10th anniversary of California's Down to Earth programs, where many California wineries celebrate throughout the month with sustainably focused events. Allison says that California has long been a leader in sustainable wine growing, and this year wineries will offer a mix of virtual events and socially distanced in-person experiences. Our sustainability efforts go back really decades, and this is really a way to celebrate the state's global leadership in sustainable wine growing. And wineries are offering special fun and educational activities, so you can actually learn about sustainable practices on the ground. Certainly there will be more virtual tours than ever, um, and that's actually a great way, or virtual events in general, and that's a great way for wine lovers from all over the world, really, to have a chance to visit, <laughs> in a way, in a virtual way, California. So I think it's actually a really exciting time, um, but also we're seeing, depending on the county, that that um, wine regions really are opening up. Often it's still outdoor seating, but in some ways you can get even more special attention, um, actually meet the winemaker or have some other really wonderful experience outside. And of course, safety is forefront in everyone's minds. There's a lot of things that we have to do and wineries are going above and beyond to ensure safety. Speaking of how the wineries are going above and beyond, they've had a pivot too, as so many have because of COVID. How have uh, the wineries and uh, 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 kind of the vanguard of the people leading the industry, how they take into having to do some of these things and perhaps building different kinds of connections with uh, customers. And again, I think when you try to look for silver linings during this really difficult time, one thing that I really saw happen was wineries stepping up and learning about the whole digital world where maybe some of them had dabbled in it a bit, but really coming up to speed, advancing probably 10 years in the last 12 months. Um, and that's exciting because again, that reach can continue on after COVID ends. And of course, we always love welcoming people to wine regions, but to be able to have those experiences where again, you might get to meet, um, actually talk with people that you otherwise might not normally have access to. So um, I think it's actually a really interesting opportunity. There's certainly more wine sales electronically over the internet. Um, so people are kind of coming up to speed on e-commerce. And then of course, our retail partners have been so important during this time. But we have seen, you know, again, people really adapting to outdoors and making some really special experiences as well. 
So wineries have had to adjust because of COVID, but California also experienced devastating fires last year. During the past wildfires, there was minimal damage to vineyards, um, and in part because vineyards act as a fire break. So I believe there were roughly 20 wineries that were directly impacted. And of course, our heart goes out to those who were. That's um, you know, a hugely challenging issue. And some of them maybe just lost certain buildings, so they're rebuilding and it's fine, but others maybe were more impacted and, and that's going to be a longer term recovery. But um, there are definitely resources available. And one of the first things we did after the wildfires was have a webinar so we could educate wineries and yards about what resources were available. So I think that um, the recovery is, is going to be something ongoing. Interestingly, we're also very engaged with a number of coalitions on wildfire prevention now. So changing government policies, getting additional resources, basically ensuring that we're doing everything we can to prevent wildfires in the future. And um, we've also done some work within the California Sustainable Wine Growing Alliance to develop educational tools about wildfire preparedness. So again, you're, you have defensible space, some of the basic information that you might know about even your own home, but really just trying to ensure that damage in, is minimized as much as possible into the future. With so much of wine culture, uh, you know, being focused on tasting, when we bring up issues like climate change and the environment, what are you hearing from consumers with respect to what's important to them and why, why these issues matter to them when they are also searching for great, great wine? Well, it's interesting because I think that there has been growing interest in sustainability and sustainably produced wines. Um, we've done an, uh, quite a bit of research with consumers and with trade, and certainly sustainable wine and food has become a priority um, for a growing number of consumers, which means they want to know how it's grown, how it's made, and they want to know that the practices that are used are both planet-friendly and also people-friendly, so they also care about the social equity aspects of sustainability. And I think, again, because now 80% of all of California wine is made in a certified winery, with roughly a half of all of our acres certified to California, certified California Sustainable Wine Growing or Lodi Rules, Napa Green, SIP certified. Um, because of that, I think we're really well positioned to meet that marketplace interest. Now, with respect to, to some of those efforts uh, in sustainability and getting that story out and getting uh, the industry moving in that direction, how much of a challenge has it has it been to get winemakers, some of whom have been around for hundreds of years, to get them to change and perhaps adopt practices that may not have been at the forefront of their minds? I think it's been one of those fascinating things to see the level of conversation really um, elevate over the last almost two decades that I've been involved. It truly has become part of the fabric of how we do business, um, both on the vineyard side as well as in the wineries. And I think more and more people understand there are multiple benefits. So yes, market interest is one of the things, but actually the early drivers were more on needing to demonstrate that we are good community and environmental stewards. So these programs can help enhance the credibility of that claim and, and um, you know, making sure that people understand 
all the many ways that we are environmentally friendly and socially responsible. Even though the California code is strict, the benefits to the environment, wildlife, and a business's bottom line make it worth implementing. If you think about some of the business benefits, if you are more efficient and you can reduce your inputs, you're reducing cost. If you're reducing energy, for instance, not only are you reducing the cost of energy, and if you're turning to alternative energy, as another example, you can really reduce your electricity bills, but also you're reducing greenhouse gas emissions. So I think people are starting to see the connections and that makes it sort of this lens where you can evaluate every decision that you're making. The California Code is, as I mentioned, the centerpiece of both our educational efforts and certification. And it has over 200 criteria that address everything from how your vineyard is established to soil management, soil health, um, to energy and water use efficiency, and um, air and water quality, sustainably preferred purchasing, all of these ways that you can think about what am I bringing into the vineyard or winery? What are, the, what are my suppliers? sustainability efforts, um, and then also thinking about the broader ecosystem. So thinking about, can I manage for wildlife habitat? And can I also be um, sequestering carbon in the forest lands around my property, often owned by wineries as well? So there's so much that can be done. And then importantly, there are the human aspects of sustainability. So both on the employer-employee relationships, but also within the community. Um, and I think for that, those reasons, like water being so important in California, some of the practices related to climate change adaptation, so important. And then labor being so important. So really wanting to make sure we're treating people um, with respect and have a high quality of life and are contributing to our communities. You're listening to the award-winning World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. World Footprints connects you to the world through powerful storytelling that uncovers the full narrative of our cultural and human experiences. Discover the world through stories at worldfootprints.com and make sure to subscribe to the World Footprints newsletter for compelling and exclusive content. Wendell Berry reminds us that the earth is what we all have in common. Here's more of our conversation with Allison Jordan from the California Sustainable Wine Growing Alliance. For the socially conscious traveler out there, is there a vineyard that is kind of the poster child for sustainability? Or can you say? You know, I have to be impartial because that's my position. But I will say that um, there are a number of ways to find wineries that are doing this. So um, if you would like to sort of see where to go for um, California Wine Down to Earth Month, you can go to discovercaliforniawines.com. And there you can also find wineries that are using sustainable practices or that are certified. Um, and then also we are going to be launching a new certified sustainable wines um, website. It's called CaliforniaSustainableWine.com. And people can go there to find certified wines, wineries, and vineyards. Having done falconry before, we were excited to learn about the role that falcons are playing in the wine producing process. There are a number of wineries really up and down the state um, that are using falcons. And what they do is they actually scare away birds that love to chomp on those sweet, juicy grapes. 
And so it's a way to basically scare away those starlings so that they are not eating our very valuable crop. And so there are falconers that go around and, and usually I, I, there may be some wineries that have their own, but often they'll work with falconers who come onto their property and basically run the falcon so that it, they scare it, the falcon scare away the birds. And if you ever have been around it, it's pretty impressive to feel the wind <laughs> as the bird flies by. It's just incredible. And they fly loose and then they're so well trained with this um, sound and at the falconer can call them back. And so it's it's just incredible to see it firsthand. Yeah, and so do any of the falconers allow visitors to ex, uh, experience them? I've been at wineries where the falconers have been there and they've allowed visitors to experience it up close. Um, so I've had that privilege for sure, but um, I would say that that's something else to look at the discovercaliforniawines.com website and check out the down to earth events to see if that's one of the offerings that may be available. I haven't heard of anyone who's doing a specific tour yet, but it's a really, um, a really enjoyable experience. With respect to some of the uh, traditions, uh, particularly around festivals that have involved things such as stomping of grapes, how is that being impacted by uh, COVID and perhaps uh, some of the protocol changes that uh, the industry has had to take on? Yeah, so one of the things that happened this year at Wine Institute, Wine Institute in particular, but in partnership with the Alliance, um, was really helping our wineries come up to speed on all of the new requirements that were around COVID. So very early on, getting involved as we as things close down, what does that mean? What's allowed? To, what activities are still allowed and what's not allowed? Um, making sure that the government agencies understood the wine industry so that all of it made sense. And then also making sure that we had protocols in place for safety. So. Um, first, that was on employees, and then we also developed protocols around tasting rooms and, you know, basically activities that involve consumers. And so there's lots of things that, that are done, you know, just in terms of social distancing, all the things that we hear about that we know that we need to do as a society. You just have to translate that into the work environment in which you're operating. So um, it's been a big issue. But I feel like as an industry, again, um, we've worked together really well and, and really shared information and made sure that it got out into um, wineries and, and vineyards throughout the state. As you've heard, Allison is very passionate about sustainable wine growing, but it's serendipitous how she discovered her heart's work. I feel so fortunate. I've had the pleasure of working with the state's wine growers for the past 20 years almost. Um, and I got there in a funny way, um, first working for an environmental nonprofit organization. And in my role there, I was taking a group of leaders from government, business, and the nonprofit sector from California to New Zealand to look at how they were managing environmental issues and environmental policy. And while I was there, I met a now colleague from Wine Institute who was telling me about this new California code of sustainable wine growing that was being developed, a really comprehensive guide and um, evaluation tool for California vineyards and wineries. And I knew that there were all kinds of stakeholders involved and I saw a lot of opportunity and was really interested and excited by it. 
So fast forward a number of years later, I was in graduate school at UC Berkeley getting my master's in public policy. And I remembered Wine Institute and COG had been working on this code. So I got in touch and I was able to intern to consult for the project the second year of graduate school. And then it led to a full-time position right after and really helped grow not, not just this code, which was really, really important. It's still the centerpiece of our educational and certification programs, but really to make sure it was a program and it really took root and now is being so broadly embraced by the California wine industry. So it really has been a privilege. Interestingly, my birthday is also April 22nd, Earth Day. So I think I was destined for a career <laughs> in sustainability. Generally, we ask our guests who they would love to sit next to on a long-haul flight. But Allison reminded me that long-haul flights aren't sustainable. So I asked her about the first person who comes to mind that she would love to take a long hike with. So the first person who came to mind is Huey Johnson, who actually is a former boss of mine who just passed away in his 80s and a really a world-renowned environmentalist who lives here in Marin County where I'm from and every time I'm hiking in this beautiful place with all these preserved wildlands I can thank him because he had the foresight and the perseverance and the courage to protect these beautiful places and so again lifelong environmentalist he was um, one of the founders of the Trust for Public Land first director of the Nature Conservancy west of the Mississippi, and someone who really also promoted women and people of color throughout his career. Um, he eventually ended up as Jer Governor Jerry Brown's Secretary of Resources um, in the first Brown administration. And I just remember all the people over the years that he introduced me to that were so inspiring, um, whether it was Yvonne Ch Chouinard from Patagonia, um, to, oh goodness, so many incredible environmentalists. Um, David Brower from just incredible people that saved so much land. And I think I would want him to help provide some guidance through these turbulent times. Um, it makes me really sad because we all weren't able to gather to remember him other than via Zoom. And I'm looking forward to the time when we can all get together because it'll bring together this incredible group of people from all chapters of his life and some of mine. Um, and I thank him for my career because I was in New Zealand and met Wine Institute because I was working for Resource Renewal Institute, his more recent organization. And yeah, I just think he would help give me some really good ideas about what the future looks like and how we can move things forward. I was very excited to hear about um, how falcons are being used. You know, you know how much I love our falcons. Uh, you know, they're just the majesty of those birds. An amazing bird and it's uh, great to interact with them and uh, to know that they are helping to uh, protect uh, wineries and vineyards all across California. Well, you know how we love our wine. I feel like we should have a glass in our hand right now. Another great thing that I learned uh, when Allison mentioned Huey Johnson, I did a little research and I learned he was born in Michigan, my home state, kind of our home state. So in the spirit of Huey Johnson, 
we would like to leave you with a story from him that was captured in an oral history interview. He says, I realized one day as I was sitting in a bar in New York City, about to meet some friends for a weekend revelry, and I realized I couldn't hold my hand steady. I was holding my drink cup. I'd been working seven days a week, 24 hours, just nonstop for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I realized, why am I doing this? And I thought, well, I want to be rich. I want to have my own ranch and have places I can go and see on my own land. Thinking further later on, I thought, why do I need to do that? We've got parks, national parks, and public lands, and they're free. So I quit. Huey goes on to say, I packed a backpack and I wandered around the world alone for a couple of years, studying cultures and history, and it was more important than my college education. I came back, went back to graduate school, studied park management, natural resource management, and was fortunate to get a job with the Nature Conservancy, overseeing the American West, 13 Western states. I was the first employee west of the Mississippi. Wow, you know, there's a life lesson there for us, I'm sure. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we're so honored that you spent this time with us. Thank you for allowing us to connect you to the world through the stories we share on World Footprints. This World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick is a production of World Footprints, LLC, Silver Spring, Maryland. The multi-award winning podcast is available on worldfootprints.com and on audio platforms worldwide, including iHeartRadio, Public Radio Exchange, iTunes and Stitcher. Connect with the world one story at a time with World Footprints. Visit worldfootprints.com to enjoy more podcasts and explore hundreds of articles from international travel writers. And be sure to subscribe to the newsletter. World Footprints is a trademark of World Footprints LLC, which retains all rights to the World Footprints portfolio, including worldfootprints.com and this podcast.